Hello, I'm Simon Farrell-Green, and I'm the editor of Here magazine, and we're delighted to be bringing you this series of wonderful New Zealand houses, along with our friends at Altherm Window Systems. Over the next year, we'll be talking with top New Zealand architects about a recent design, learning how it came to be, and why the people who live in it love it so much. We'll have beautiful videos, lovely photographs, and some great yarns. But we're also going to feature a podcast with each project where I get to chat with the architect and hear the story behind the design. It's a chance for us to sit down at length and hear the full story. From the city to the country, from large and luxurious to small and clever, I hope you'll follow along with us as we explore these wonderful New Zealand houses. Houses in central Otago often cleave to a particular vernacular, pitched roofs drawing on historic cottages with lots of stone and timber. But at Tarras, on a rural site in rolling country, architect Gary Todd of Gary Todd Architecture has designed a trio of pavilions around a sheltered courtyard with an elegant floating roof and views of rolling hills in all directions. It's a house designed for his client's retirement. Active relaxes, though. It's a long way from a typical retirement home. To tell us more, Gary joins us now from sunny Ōtepoti, Dunedin. Welcome, Gary. Hi, Simon. Great to be chatting with you today. Wonderful. So, Gary, the, the brief for this house, you know, in short, was, was to build a home for retirement. What, what did that mean in practice? Because um, it's, it's not, you know, doesn't look like a classic sort of place to go and moulder away. Well, I think it's an opportunity to have a look at the lifestyle, the people that are have a busy educational sort of uh, role in the community, then they want to take a step back and do a bit of gardening. I think uh, at their time of age at retirement, single storey is a great way to go. If you've lived in a house that's had two storeys, you want to progress to a single storey house. And they had a flattish site to work with, so that was a good starting point. Mm. So tell us a little bit about that site. What was what was there when you when you first visited, and, and and how did it sort of present itself to you? Right. Well, I'd come from their previous house that they'd asked me to design, which was near on a hillside near the lake of Hawea. So where we come down to this rural site, and it was basically a large paddock. The uh, the paddock had some established gum trees that were up the western boundary and across the southern boundary and then sort of to the eastern boundary of this there was a slope but the good thing about the site was to the north it opened up to the Clutha Valley so you could see all the way through to the mountains. Uh, It did have the state highway in front of it but the section was big enough being rural uh, you could bring yourself sort of 150 metres back from the highway and sort of nestle in amongst the gum trees and on closer inspection of the gum trees, there was a water race running through it. So there's this little babbling sort of meandering stream there, which was really nice. Yeah. And they, their daughter owned the land. Have I, have I got that right? That, that, so she was already sort of on site? That's right. The daughter had grown up, moved away, um, found this block of land in near Terrace. And they came down to have a look at it, realised that economically perhaps it could be divided into two blocks so Mm. the plan became to subdivide it and obviously be close to their daughter and their granddaughter 
who had health issues. So this was a really sensible move in terms of the family unit being closely uh, linked. Needed to go through a resource consent, but there is allowances for those family situations. Okay, okay. And what did you think, you know, when you first visited and, you know, you took in that view of the Clutha, which is which is beautiful, what did you think might work on the site? What was sort of the, some of the, the, the early... I guess, reflections on, on how you might lay it out and, and approach those views? Well, I think the first thing was to um, settle on where the platform for the house might be. And so that if we could nestle the house back closer towards the gums, closer towards the brook, um, get further away from the highway, but still retain that view up the Clutha Valley. So it's the Clutha Valley uh, not the Clutha River that we can see. It's the mm. Clutha Valley leading up to the mountains above Wanaka. And it was, I think, really early on I established that the brook and the gums were at the south boundary. The view is the north. We would have this axial link between the outdoor sh- sheltered space in the gums, the centre of the house, and then the northern vast sort of panoramic view. So you want... So if we could lay the house out on this south-north axis, Mm -hmm. uh, we could sort of revolve the pavilions around. And wandering around the daughter's um, property, there was a collection of farm buildings there, which was traditional for central Otago to have a barn and a shed for some animals and a house. And they were all of a residential small scale. And I kind of like that sort of reinterpretation of using that spread-out farmyard sort of layout, but condense it more into like three pavilions around a centre courtyard with the open space coming from the south through the building to the north uh, being able to be a visual link like an architectural lens on the Mm. landscape. Nice. You've played a little bit with courtyards over the years. What what what's the appeal of that of that layout of of clustering? I, I love that analogy of you know farm buildings and collections of buildings. What, what what's what's the appeal of that? I think the appeal for uh, me is that you need different places to go at different times. So if you can go out uh, into the northern aspect and take in those big views but then the wind gets up or the sun's too fierce you can retreat back through a sort of a central glazed pavilion into a more sheltered situation where you could close one of the doors but still look at the view and it's such an extreme weather in central Otago you can Mm. go to like minus 10 or plus 30 so you've got to allow for the changing weather conditions and there's also an eastern courtyard that I created which is the spa courtyard, the spa and garden courtyard, which is a nice place to retire in the evening, out of the sun, but looking up at the sky, at at the stars. Uh, So I think if I could give the clients three outdoor spaces, they're pretty happy. They can move around three times in the day. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that. You know, that you've you've got a lot of glazing, you've got a lot of glass, um, you've got some sort of big Altham, um, sliding doors to the front, and yet you do have that that extreme of climate. How do you how do you deal with, you know, the cold and the heat when you've got that much glass? Yeah, well, I think in a house it needs to be a bit um, special in the sense that you do want some enclosure at times. You want private and intimate spaces, but then you also like open and entertaining spaces. So I think if you look at the three. Uh, buildings that we've created 
One of them's for storage in which we're using the garage. Uh, so we're not seeing the vehicles. They're all securely locked away. Then you could look at the bedroom wings. They're more intimate. There's the bedrooms, the dressing rooms, the en-suites, the guest room, the bathroom, the toilet. They're the more intimate private spaces, a lot more solid walls. But then the living room can take on a different aspect, that living pavilion. If it's fully glazed to the north as expected, it's gaining the sun, it's gaining the views. But in this case, we fully glazed the south elevation so that it became a see-through permeable space. Mm. And it, and if the clients have friends around or, or the family comes visiting, it, the illusion of space is really nice. It feels a spacious living room. In fact, it feels like the sloping ceiling is floating like a canopy of trees, which was mimicking the gum trees. Um, so there's some really nice things happen there in terms of private spaces, but then spacious, uh, luxury sort of living spaces, which, and really important that these were gardeners. So the connection to the landscape was important for them and the glazed walls from Altherm joinery provided allowed for that. Yeah, that's a, such an, that's a really interesting point. So as a visitor and I guess sort of, you know, during the day, you're, you're in a, a glassy box, but then you've got, I love that you've got sort of much more enclosed timbery enclosed spaces to get away to yeah yeah the glaze the glaze walls take on two different looks mm. actually during them the the glaze walls that people see when they're driving past and there's a few people that have stopped and gazed from 150 meters away at this building <laughs> because it's it's got green tinted reflective glass so right. they see they see the building as recessive that it's a, it's really intriguing and of course, if the clients were to open the center slider doors, then they would realize that the building is see-through, but they don't realize that by day. So it's actually really private by day. They, and then it changes by night because at night, when you turn the lights on, of course, the glass just have this honey-colored glows coming from inside the house and the people are silhouetted. So again, their privacy is protected. You know there's activity and movement there, but you just at that 150 metres, you can't quite work out who it is, what they're doing, just that somebody's encamped under the trees. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of got a, a modernist sort of feel. Um, and I sort of alluded to that in the introduction, which is, um, you know, the, the, the typical sort of, um, I guess, vernacular of, of, of Central is, is much more sort of cottagey, I guess, or, or pitched roofy. And um, this, is, this is sort of, you know, more mono pitch. What, what, how, did you, how did you get that through in terms of planning? And where was the, where was the thinking coming from with that? Well, the thinking came from the trees themselves, first of all, because we had, you've got your tree trunks and your branches are really open, and then you've got your canopy of leaves across the foliage, across the top. So essentially, uh, I set up some steel portal frames, which were like our trunks. Then we uh, put our version of a canopy in the form of a plywood ceiling, but floated, floated it out about 2.4 metres each side, so it was well past the glass line, past the points of support. And uh, it was just a reinterpretation of the lean-to, but in, in a sense that traditionally our buildings were quite solid with small windows to try and keep the heat in, mm. whereas this is a contemporary modern design in the sense that we want to gain that sun and we want that passive solar heating 
coming from the north into the building. And yet in the summer when it's 60 de- degree sun, 60 degrees from horizontal, the big 2.4 eaves is a cooling effect and uh, it doesn't let as much sun in in the summer. So you've got to know your passive solar design quite well. And we've got the advantage of having the big concrete slab, which is like a, it's basically the modern equivalent of a night store, a night, somewhere to store the heat, soak it up on the polished concrete floor. And then at the end of the day, when you're shutting everything up, we've got our high performance double glazing and our thermally broken aluminium joinery. So that's really helping us retain the heat. Nice. What about materials? You, you again. It's it's crisper. It's crisper than 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 sometimes central gets, which I really like. You know, you've got you've even got sort of strand board and touches like that. What were you trying to do there? Well, I think um, the material of the outside was such that we wanted each pavilion to have a little bit of an identity for a starter. Mm-hmm. Um, so we on the living room pavilion, which is mostly glass. Uh, we did put the schist stone in on the gable ends, but we stopped it about half a metre short of the ceiling so that we still had glass four sides, so the so the canopy ceiling still floated. Mm-hmm. On the sh- on the garage uh, storage shed, we did that in the corrugated steel in the dark, uh, dark colour, so it was recessive in the landscape, but a, a, again, a fairly strong nod to the old rural farm buildings with their lean-to sheds all clad in corrugated steel and then of course the other building which is like the sleeping bathing pavilion it's clad in the cedar timber and it's that choice that we decided to bring inside so we've got some dark stained timber in the joinery of the kitchen yes Um, then for a little bit of fun we've used the strand board on some of the walls and dark stained it uh, in the living room and down the hallways um, the colour of the blonded plywood re- went really well with the canopy of the green trees, uh, the, the gum tree leaves, mm. and the and the tree trunks. So there's that, and uh, the the floor being polished concrete had some black dye put into it, and same with the concrete outside, which is all at one level too. There's no, there's nothing to trip on. So we did a nice little detail with the altherm sill and the drainage channel so there's uh, just flush indoor outdoor flow so I think those material choices of having timber brought from the outside in but reinterpreted in different playful manners is quite an interesting feature to give that house that bit of personality and and warmth and softness as well you know it's sort of you're quite you know it gives it gives you a sense of enclosure when you've got that sort of warm dark timber around you doesn't it Absolutely. I, I don't mind using dark timbers because, mm. again, they're recessive in the landscape from outside, but also that they defer to the landscape. So you're using your country colours range, basically, of various shades of brown to uh, make it feel homely, make it feel cosy, especially in the little living snug where um, the clients go to listen to music or watch a wee bit of um, video or something like that. So you you do have that sense of having um, a more intimate space within a bigger, more entertaining space. So that's that's worked really well for them. They love it. That's fabulous. What are some of the other sustainable touches that you've got? I, I know that there, there were some quite quite important parts of this house to do that. 
I think some of the sustainability comes from your choice of enduring materials. So stone and steel are going to be around for a long time. The timber is uh, renewable. Uh, the power for the house is using some PV panels sitting up on the hill. So that's really good. And the fact that it's um, it's got opening doors on each side of the living pavilion, so it has natural cross ventilation for summer. I think there's a lot of passive solar design in there that's good and sustainable. Yeah, that's, that, 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 those are some of the key things. Yeah, yeah. The garden is, you touched on that before, is, is really important. And it was quite lovely um, looking at photos of it not long after it had been built versus um, the ones that we, we took recently. And it's it's really taken off. It's qu- It's quite a different house with the garden around it, isn't it? Yes, well, um, the lady of the house is a gardener and she's ably helped by her husband. I think uh, they've definitely got like a green thumb. They have this ability to be able to put the right plants in the right place, put some water to them and they flourish. They started with the inner courtyard, which is the most private one. So they've got sort of lusher plants in there that can survive in a wee bit of shade. Mm. Whereas the other the other plants around the, the house are around that eastern courtyard, which is really nice around the spa area. And just moving from the formality of the courtyard out to the informality of the garden as it sort of meanders its way out into the paddock and peters out into natural raw landscape. It's quite a sort of a cool experience. Even driving into the property is quite nice. So they've... Mm. They haven't taken a straight driveway straight up the western boundary. They've started at the northeast corner and sort of meandered a driveway diagonally across the big expansive paddock that sort of wasn't sure what it should be, but it's become the approach to the house and saying, this is not your urban lot you're driving on. You're driving on this rural little road, gravel road, and you're going to come to this little oasis underneath the tree. Mm, yeah. mm. And then the glass, you know, with all the glass, you're sitting there, you're really part of the garden, aren't you? You're sitting there looking out through it. It's it's really quite lush. Yeah, well, that was that was the client's brief, is that mm. they did they were not scared to put lots of glass in and they did want a really strong indoor-outdoor connection. And they are outdoor people. They like having a glass of wine in the courtyard or sitting out on the front terrace and enjoying what the cows might be doing on the paddock across the road. Or um, So the, the, the indoor-outdoor connection was made possible by uh, the full-height glazed walls and the fact that you can... Because you've got your walls south and north in a room, you have more than one perspective. Mm. So you can look in two different directions. You can see who might be busy in the front courtyard or in the central sheltered courtyard at the same time. So from a kitchen vantage point, great for the chef or for the man who's listening to his music. He can sort of see there's a visitor coming up the driveway and thinking he might be able to nip into the courtyard and catch up with the grandchildren as well because before they wreck some furniture or something. So, <laughs> so, so uh, and it doesn't feel like a fishbowl because it's anchored by the solid walls at the mm. east and the west end. So you're not in a complete fishbowl at all. Yeah. You've just got this uh, permeable space which can, which can allow you to connect with 
two outdoor spaces at once yeah. instead of just one view. Like you say, it, it's a lens, isn't it? it? It does have a focus. It's not. It's not just a, a fishbowl. It's a good way to put it. Yeah, I mean, I love uh, going around there and having a glass of wine in the courtyard with the owners, uh, and being able to look through the sliding doors of the living room and connect with that rural view through to the Wanaka mm. Mountains. Mm. And at the same time, when you, depending where you're sitting in that courtyard, you can glance back and you can see the, the, the uh, gum trees slowly moving at the south and hear the babble of the brook behind you. So it's a pretty pleasant courtyard and. To drink rosé over Christmas was great with them. <laughs> what were you What were you most nervous about with this house? What was What was the thing that that you really kind of worried about? I guess um, not really worried, but you. This was the third house that the clients had come back to me, so each house was always expected to be better. <laughs> So there's a little bit of pressure on, I guess, to get this one as good as we could, uh, given that it's also a retirement house, so it's not the first time round with a young family, so they're in a different situation. And that they'd seen some of my other work, and it's definitely modern and contemporary, and we do houses of all budgets. So um, it was just a matter of being really responsible with a restricted budget. Mm-hmm. We've done houses for definitely less, and we've done houses for significantly greater. Um, but it was about delivering something that fitted their lifestyle. Mm. So I think it was really important that when we finished the house, they just loved it to bits, uh, and they wanted to invite me back to you know, spend time with them and share progress on the garden or some artwork that they might have put into the living spaces so yeah there was some expectation that i just put on myself to deliver the best house we could for very good friends Mm, that's lovely what are you most proud of it about it i lots of different things probably the way that it's been greeted by the public is really i'm probably the proudest um so essentially, you know, you do a house that uh, fits the brief. Then the public come along and start stopping at the driveway and driving up the meandering driveway to ask the clients about this amazing house. And they're going to like, just couldn't help myself but admire your house. And then, of course, my clients being such good, friendly people, show them around the garden and let them have a peek inside and <laughs> the people go on their way. And this happens every month, and it's quite amazing, you know. Uh, and then they're part of a um, gardening group, and uh, I think it's been every six months the gardening group wants to come back and see the progress on the garden, which is fantastic. So you have sort of 50 to 70 avid gardens from central Otago all coming back to have a look how this rural paddock's been transformed by the house and the garden. And that's got to be a testament to the how well it's turned out. So I'm proud of the fact that other people are embracing the architecture that my clients have uh, committed to and the garden that they've put with it to give them their lifestyle that they absolutely enjoy. Mm, that's fabulous, Gary. Well done. Thank you for joining us. No problem. That was Gary Todd of Gary Todd Architecture talking about a house he designed at Terrace in central Otago. Thanks, Gary. Thanks very much, Simon. 
Thanks for joining here and Altham as we explore these great New Zealand houses and chat with the architects who brought them to life. We'll see you next time. Thank you.